everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Latasha Williams. She's running for judge in Pennsylvania. I have my judicial canon approved judge questions ready. Uh, So welcome to the show, Latasha. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, tell us about your background and the work that you do presently. Well, I am an attorney. I have been practicing law for a little over two years now. Prior to becoming an attorney, I worked in the public policy sector for 20 years. My legal career began um, in the public defender's office in Philadelphia, where I externed as um, a, uh, I had an externship there. And so I worked very closely with the public defender who was assigned to the drug treatment court. And so that's when I really decided that I had a taste for litigation, criminal law in particular. Um, And also while I was an undergraduate student um, at Temple University in Philadelphia, I uh, enrolled in a program called the Inside Out Prison Exchange Program. And I was one of the first students Uh, to participate in the program, which is now a nationally run program um, at colleges across the United States. But we were the inaugural class. And what that class did was bring students in college inside the prison walls to talk with people who were serving sentences for crimes they were convicted of. And that's when I really got a chance to see that Um, there are some people in prison, many people in prison who uh, made a mistake and who have redeemable qualities. And so I knew that I wanted to work in that area in some way. And so I went on to pursue my master's degree at Wilmington University in Newcastle, Delaware, where my major was administration of justice. And um, I worked Uh, closely with adolescents who were in the juvenile justice system in Philadelphia. I also worked with uh, families who had children who had developmental delays. And so I worked to help them attain early intervention services because I began to see how a lot of things are connected in terms of how a child ends up in the criminal justice system. So it starts from early intervention um, 
through the pubescent stage and then the adolescent stage. And so um, I continued my work in that area. And then I also volunteered my time to help people who I thought presented uh, strong claims of wrongful conviction. Um, these were people who I met in my uh, travels throughout uh, the prison and um, I would help them because they were poor. They didn't have any money. Their families didn't have any money. And so I would just advocate on their behalf, help them uh, retain counsel who would either uh, reduce their prices or work for them for free. I would help them with fundraising. I would help them with locating witnesses, with uh, doing research on the law, drafting um, pleadings for court. And so that's how my story begins. And that's what I've done over the last 20 years. And in doing that work, I realized that I could be even more effective as an attorney because there are just certain things that as an advocate under the law, I was not able to do, or there uh, may be information I was not able to access. And so uh, while I was working for our state legislature here in Pennsylvania, researching the law, writing new laws, I enrolled in law school part-time. And so I was going to law school at night while working as a legislative research analyst for the Pennsylvania House of Representatives during the day and eventually earned my law degree and I studied for the bar. When I graduated law school, I clerked for a judge in York County, Pennsylvania. And I did that for a year and a half. And then I applied for several positions and ultimately accepted a position with the York County, Pennsylvania District Attorney's Office. And that is where I currently work as an assistant district attorney prosecuting cases uh, from misdemeanors to felonies but also uh, you know, just being an advocate for victims and for defendants, ensuring that their constitutional rights are not violated um, and doing what we can do to uh, steer people away from prison and provide an opportunity for treatment for those who do want it and need it. And so that's just my uh, snapshot of me and my experiences and background. So what's... What has been your approach as a prosecutor? Well, I look at the totality of the circumstances. I look at the facts of a case. Um, I look at um, the surrounding circumstances uh, that led up to whatever crime allegedly occurred. Um, I look at the victim and how that victim was harmed and what it would take to make that victim whole again. Um, and then I also consider uh, whether uh, the defendant is a threat to that victim or to anyone else in society, society to determine what the best outcome for the situation should be. And when I say the best outcome, I mean the most fair outcome because for me, it all boils down to fairness. And I do recognize that there will be times when someone may not be happy with what I propose, whether that's a victim, a defendant, a police officer, a witness, but I have to do what my moral compass dic dictates as correct. Um, and so those are all of the things that I take into consideration. 
Um, and, and then tell us why you want to be a judge. I've always wanted to be a judge ever since I, um, I would say, began my career 20 years ago back at the public defender's office in Philadelphia um, and working with the attorney in drug treatment court. I worked closely with and more so importantly observed the presiding judge of the drug treatment court. And I really admired how um, he ruled. I admired how he interacted with um, all the parties from the attorneys to the defendants, to the social workers, to the probation officers. And um, he treated everyone with such dignity and respect. And I said, I could do that. I want to do that. Um, and so that was a, a very important experience. And in the work that I've done in so far as helping people wrongly convicted with proving their innocence, um, I've come to see how important the trial judge is in those matters because judges at the trial level determine what evidence is admissible, what evidence should be excluded, what evidence the jury should hear, what evidence the jury should not hear. And all of that is very important. And so I wanna be a judge because I have experience on all sides when we're talking about the criminal court process. So I've done defense advocacy work. I've practiced as a defense attorney. I'm currently practicing as a prosecutor. And then I also clerked for a judge. Um, and so I just want to play my part and take my public service work to the next level and sit on the bench where I live, which is in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania. The bench does not reflect the population that it serves. There are currently nine judges. Eight of them are men. One is a woman. Um, there is one African-American judge, um, but he's only the second ever African-American judge in the 235 plus year history of the existence of the court in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania. And there has never been an African-American woman. And there are plenty of black people, plenty of women, plenty of people in, of color right here in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania. And so those are just some of the reasons why I am seeking this judgeship. Um, very interesting. Uh, my, my county has 11 judges and uh, um, nine of them are men and uh, only one of them is a color uh, Hispanic. Uh, so I understand your dilemma. Um, and I'll ask you about that in a uh, moment. Um, but tell us a bit about your county. Well, um, you know, there's a lot of history here in the state of Pennsylvania, or, or as we say, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, but Dauphin County is, you know, a fairly large county. Um, it's a fairly diverse county. Um, we do have, uh, we're the state capital of Pennsylvania is situated here in Dauphin County and the state capital is Harrisburg. And so, um, I don't know, what do you want to know about Dauphin County? How many people live there? I would say about 
maybe 200,000, give or take. So relatively small. Well, I guess it depends on what you're comparing it to, but you could say that. Yeah. All right. Um, that's actually about the size of my counting too. So, uh, you know, um, okay. And then um, who else is running uh, and, and when is the election? Well, the election is Tuesday, May the 18th, 2021. Um, there's only one seat that is vacant and there are four candidates, two men and two women. Um, and so I'm running against Catherine Waters, Brian McQuillan, and Jeffrey Engel. And um, so um, do you believe that uh, there's an underrepresentation of uh, women of, of color in the court system? Well, I think it depends on where you are certainly where I am located in central Pennsylvania, more specifically Dauphin County, absolutely. Um, and then where I work, uh, I am a prosecutor in York County, Pennsylvania, and there are no black women on the bench. Um, but then you take a city such as Philadelphia where the representation looks a lot differently. Um, so I just think it depends on where you are, but certainly where I am and in my surrounding counties, absolutely. And do you have thoughts on how to get more women of color and people of color uh, kind of involved in the court system, either as attorneys or judges? Well, I think we have to go all the way back to students in middle school and high school because that's where it begins. I think that's where you have to nurture the idea of becoming an attorney, of becoming a judge. It starts, I think, when you're very young. And, you know, law school is very expensive and um, it's quite a large undertaking. And so it's important to surround that young girl, that young lady, um, with the supports that she needs in order to excel. Um, so that's where it starts. We have to, uh, we as in those of us who have made it um, to Esquire, we have to reach back and be there for um, the younger children and to uh, mentor them, to show them how they can achieve uh, you know, what we have achieved and how to accomplish it. Because a lot of times, you know, children, they have big dreams and they have goals, but if they don't have anyone to help uh, show them the roadmap or the blueprint, um, then they don't chase after those dreams. And so um, I think that's where it starts and just being committed to those ideals and just seeing them all the way through high school, undergraduate studies, and then on to law school. Um, and, and why do you think it's important um, to improve the diversity both on the bench and uh, in the courtrooms? Uh, a litigant should walk into a courtroom and see someone who looks like them or someone who 
um, they feel like they can relate to someone who can um, identify with their experiences or at least some portions of their experiences. Um, and so, you know, we don't live in a society of just, you know, one type of person. There are all kinds of people that, um, you know, live together in society. And so the court system, the courtroom should reflect that. Um, it makes people feel that they are being heard. Um, and not to say that the outcome will be what they want or hope, but at least people will feel like they have a fair shot and they will feel like they are a part of a system that they can actually believe in and that they know um, will do what's fair in the end, even if it, even if the decision doesn't go their way. People want to feel like they're being heard and not like they're walking into a room or to a situation where the outcome has already been decided, where they have, they don't stand a chance um, of not just winning, but they don't even stand a chance of being heard. And so I think that's why it's important to have um, diversity. You have to have a bench um, where um, the judges uh, represent all segments of the population, older judges, younger judges, middle-aged, um, parents with uh, judges who may be parents, grandparents, um, who have different life experiences, work experiences, um, all of that matters. Um, what factors uh, are considered in granting and, and setting amounts of bail for defendants? Well, uh, bail is determined uh, based on uh, several factors. Um, one factor includes whether that defendant um, is likely to abscond and not show up to their next court date. And so you look at um, the defendant's past, um, if they have a past criminal record history and whether or not they have failed to appear at court dates in the past. So you definitely look at that, um, but you also look to whether the defendant um, poses a risk of harm to the community or to their victim. Um, and so you, you know, consider what kind of case it is, what the allegations are, and whether or not that person um, is dangerous uh, and should be um, incarcerated, you know, pending the outcome of their um, criminal case. So you definitely want to look at um, those factors when determining whether or not um, what the amount of bail should be um, if bail is to be set in a case. But here in Pennsylvania, um, in a case involving um, murder where um, the sentence would be um, a life sentence, um, bail is not an option. And so people with those types of charges um, don't get bail here in Pennsylvania. Um, is there discussion in Pennsylvania about reforming the bail system? There are many discussions about it um, in different jurisdictions. Um, there is concern that uh, cash bail, um, as it's been referred to, is a system that 
um, targets poor people and punishes poor people before their guilt has even been determined. Um, and um, to some extent, um, there's truth to that. And um, so, yes, there are discussions surrounding how to reform the cash bill system as we know it today. And does Pennsylvania use a strict bail schedule or uh, does the judge have a good deal of discretion? Well, I think that varies county to county, but I would say generally speaking, um, there's a lot of discretion. Um, bail in criminal court matters is initially set by the magisterial district judge. Um, and that's our first level of judicial authority here in Pennsylvania. Um, so the magistrate initially sets bail. Um, and, you know, if there's an allegation that a defendant has violated the terms of that bail, that magistrate um, can modify it, can revoke it, um, as long as the case has um, not left the jurisdiction of the magisterial district judge. Um, once the court um, has heard the case at preliminary hearing, the magisterial district court has heard the case at preliminary hearing, it then moves up to the Court of Common Pleas. And that's the level court where I am running for a judgeship. So it's also known as the trial court. Um, the case then is transferred over to the trial court and then the trial court judge could modify bail, revoke bail um, as well. I see. Um, and then uh, do you believe that the composition of juries adequately and fairly reflects society at large? Um, it really is a random um, selection process. Um, and the pool itself, yes, but as we know, you know, the pool shrinks significantly. And so um, the men and women who are ultimately selected to serve on the jury may not necessarily uh, look like the defendant or appear to reflect society as a whole, but I think the initial pool does because it really is truly a random process. And I did not completely understand that until I began practicing law and picking juries myself. And that's when I had a better understanding of how the process works and how people are called in for jury duty um, and just how that works. Um, and oddly enough, I've never been called in for jury duty. And I've lived in Dauphin County for the past 13, 14 years and has never been called in for jury duty. But it's a random process. And um, I don't know. Those are my thoughts on that. Is there anything a judge can do to, uh, to make the composition of juries uh, more reflective of uh, the community? No, not really. Um, like I said, it is a random um, selection process. Um, and it's important for the community to show up. Um, I've gotten into many conversations where um, people are sulking and are just downright upset that their day has been disturbed 
because um, they were summoned for jury duty and sometimes they just don't show up. So that's very important for people to uh, respect the process and, um, you know, just be involved. Um, and then when a trial is uh, preparing to commence and the attorneys are in the voir dire process, as we call it, the jury selection process where they're uh, questioning the potential jurors to um, ensure that the panel consists of um, jurors who can be fair and impartial. Um, you know, the court does play a role in that because there are times when one party may wish for a juror to uh, be struck for one reason or the other. And so the judge will ultimately make that decision um, on an individual basis, whether to keep someone um, on the panel or to strike them. Um, what do you see as causes of uh, high rates of incarceration for the minority community? Uh, economics, for sure. Um, I think that's the lead factor. Um, unfortunately, um, there's many people of color who don't have um, access, don't have equal access to, um, to education, equal access to money, and um, they languish in poverty. And that would be the overarching uh, reason for that, in my opinion. And uh, what do you think about the growing prison population? Well, in Pennsylvania, I believe our numbers um, are going down because I think that the experts and the practitioners who are um, leading our criminal justice system do recognize that um, mental health, um, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, these are uh, all factors that contribute to incarceration. And so there's an approach that I see being adopted, I think across the state, uh, whereas treatment um, is the preferred option over incarceration. I think um, the experts are understanding and recognizing that incarceration is expensive and just not necessary for every single person who finds themselves um, a defendant. Um, it's just not necessary. But um, I would say that it is important though that we um, equip people who are in prison preparing to get out with the resources that they need because I don't think sometimes people understand that when a person gets out of prison or jail that they literally have nothing they have to start over from scratch as far as everything from their personal belongings to um you know, their underclothes to their clothes to everything, it's starting over from scratch. And so um, if we're gonna remove them from their community um, to incarcerate them, there has to be um, something in place um, 
to help them uh, reintegrate and get back on their feet for the day that they are released from prison. So, you know, I kind of asked this earlier, but maybe following up again, you know, as a prosecutor, what do you see your role there? Well, I see my role first and foremost to um, protect victims, um, to be a voice for victims. Um, but I also see my role um, as one who should uh, work alongside the police and law enforcement, but also make sure that law enforcement has not overstepped their boundaries or done anything um, either intentionally or inadvertently uh, that rises to the level of violating a defendant's constitutional rights. Um, and so that's my role. Have you ever had the opportunity to prosecute a police officer? No, I have not. Um, and then, you know, I mean, it's always kind of strange asking these questions as somebody who wants to be a judge because it's like, you know, what are you going to say? But, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, in terms of reforming the system, is there a role that a, a, a judge can actually play or are they kind of bound by by the existing order? No, I think definitely there is a role that a judge can play in helping to reform the system. I mean, part of that involves the decisions that a judge makes. Um, that's reform uh, right there. Setting the tone in a courtroom for how uh, parties will be treated. Um, that's a part of reforming the system. I've been in courtrooms in the past where, um, you know, judges uh, talk down to people, uh, were disrespectful in my opinion. Um, and so it starts out, you know, on just a very basic level of just um, being human because someone is watching, um, whether it's, um, someone who's already a part of the system, whether it's a child, a younger person, um, a student. And so um, just like when I was a college student and I was watching um, the judge, his name was Judge Presenza. When I was watching him, um, he may not have realized um, the impact that he played um, in my life at that time, but I was watching him very closely. Um, and so um, judges can help promote um, different programs um, within um, their court's jurisdiction. Um, so there's definitely things that judges can do to help uh, make change in our system. How much discretion does a judge have in sentencing in uh, Pennsylvania? Well, it does depend on the crime. Um, for the most part, though, judges have a wide latitude um, in terms of discretion and sentencing, um, there are some offenses where uh, the punishment is mandatory and uh, was set by our state legislature. Um, but for the most part, judges do have latitude when it comes to sentencing. Um, now, there are sentencing guidelines um, that our sentencing commission um, has helped create, and it takes a look at 
a defendant's um, prior criminal record history, if there is any, and it takes a look at the nature of the offense that was committed, and we call that the offense gravity score. And so um, there's a grid. And so you look at the offense gravity score in conjunction with a person's prior record score. And then that helps give guidance as to where um, that person's um, standard range of sentencing will fall. Now, by law, the judge does not have to follow what that sentencing range ends up um, being, but um, the guidelines are just that, they're guidelines and a judge for the most part um, can deviate from that upward or downward. So. so what criteria would you look at when deciding whether or not to stick within that range or go outside it? I would look at, um, well, I would listen to the argument of counsel um, on both sides. And then I would strongly consider whether um, incarceration is appropriate, whether probation is appropriate. Um, considering the fact that I've been in over half of our state's uh, correctional institutions, I have a pretty good idea um, of what um, you know, the inside of the facilities are like, how they're run, how they're managed. Um, you know, I can never say that I can relate to what life as a prisoner is like, but I've had discussions with many, 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 many prisoners um, over the last 20 years. And so I would determine whether or not um, the person um, standing before me, if we're talking about a criminal court case, because the judgeship that I'm running for, um, that particular court presides over criminal court matters, but family court matters as well, um, and then civil matters. Um, and a lot of it is all very much connected. Um, a lot of times a crime occurs because there was some dispute over property um, or some issue stemming from a family law issue. So it really is interesting how it's all connected, but um, more specifically to your question, um, and so far as um, criminal, the criminal court defendant, um, I would take all of that into consideration. Um, look at whether that person has a propensity to um, commit crime again. Um, are they someone who appears that, you know, they can reform? Was this a one-time incident or do they have a pattern of behavior, of criminal behavior? Um, so those are just some of the things I would take into consideration. You've been both, uh, you've worked both on the defense side and, and the prosecution side. One of the interesting things when they've looked at, you know, compositions of judges and the benches is, is they're kind of over-representative uh, of uh, prosecutors and under-representative of public defenders. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I think that varies by jurisdiction too. I was um, actually just speaking to a friend who's in a, a neighboring county and um, there are a couple of judges on that bench who are former public defenders. Though I would say it does seem that usually, um, you know, judges have prosecutorial experience um, 
but um, I don't know for sure the stats on that. Um, and I don't really think it matters so much uh, which side you come from because um, at the end of the day, a judge, as I see it, is an advocate for justice, um, not one side or the other. Um, but it, I think it's important though to um, have someone such as myself who has had both experiences because I can truly see things from um, both lenses. And I think that's important being able to see and understand both sides because um, I don't have tunnel vision. And I think sometimes when you have uh, the experience of one side predominantly, um, you can develop tunnel vision in terms of how you view evidence, how you view the parties, how you view um, the outcome of a case. And and then we're, we're just about out of time. Um, so, so what's kind of your take home message for those listening? Well, my take home message for those listening, uh, particularly those listening in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania is on May the 18th. Um, I hope you exercise your right to vote. And uh, more importantly, your, I hope that you vote for me um, because it is time for a fresh perspective on our bench. It is time that we have a more diverse bench. Um, and I don't necessarily just mean um, me being an African-American woman, um, but it's my, the totality of my experiences uh, where yes, I have uh, been a licensed attorney. I am a licensed attorney, but I also bring so much more than that. And I think that's critically important. Um, and so, that's what I would say to uh, wrap up my message. And I thank you so much, David, for having me on your show. It's truly been my privilege. Well, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing a little bit about Dawkins County, Pennsylvania. Uh, this has been Everyday Injustice. We've been talking to Latasha Williams, who in less than a month uh, will be facing election. Uh, she's running for judge in Pennsylvania. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.